You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about world building, interviewing author Annalie Newitz, and giving advice on rating memoirs with a special call-in from friend of the show, Chelsea Devantes. Very cool. But first, what are you reading, Bria? Well, speaking of world building... I'm glad to be talking about this on this show. I have for a couple weeks now, and I probably will be reading this for the next 75 years based on the <laughs> length of the book. Uh, I'm reading um, House of Earth and Blood, which is the Crescent City One Book by Sarah J. Moss. Oh, shit. So, Mallory, you and I both are not Sarah J. Moss readers, Neither right? of us have ever read it, but it's a big well, glasser author. Well, previous. Okay. Now, now here we are. All I know here is it's about are. horny fairies. Well, honestly, I'm 30% in and there's not, I mean, there's like speaking of horniness, but there's not, I would not, I would not depict it that way. Oh, I would not her say other, that. I would her say, other, it's her, a court of yes. something and something is her a court horny of thorn, fairies. Thorn roses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look, there are fairies. There are a lot, look, these are very popular. I think they're super popular like on book talk and stuff, but my friend Robin has been trying to get me to read these for a long time and she cannot believe that I'm legally allowed to do a book podcast without reading them. Wow, well, so I'm glad that like, we got it will... in before the book police came. <laughs> so I decided to start it. I will tell you, I understand. It's very addicting, this book. I Because I was like, ooh, this is long. Like, am I actually going to get through this book, or is this going to be a DNF? And honestly, Sarah J. Moss, a Sarah, a Sarah close to our hearts. <laughs> uh, Sarah, I'm going to apologize for not reading your books earlier, because this is a fucking fantastically entertaining book. It is a doorstop of a book that I am ready to keep reading. It is about this woman who is half human, half fae, and um, she's kind of known as like a party girl. And then one night she comes home um, and she finds that some sort of demon has murdered all of her friends. Um, Oh, shit. And then it cuts to a couple years later and it's sort of like, it's her and this fallen angel who gets like assigned to her to help her sort of figure and he's out sexy, who did, right? Who did the murdering? He, uh, they're all everyone's sexy. <laughs> Plot twist: they're everybody's not. sexy. Demons are sexy. <laughs> snake people are sexy. No, uh, everyone's pretty sexy. There is a snake person, Mallory, uh, not prominently featured, but I am at a part with a snake person. Um, and basically, they have to go around and figure out like what is happening. There is definitely sexual tension here between this fallen angel and this woman, woman, fae, uh, fae woman. I don't know how you say it, but it's very entertaining. And I will say this, like, I, well, I could talk about it more during while we're talking about world building, but it is, the world is very big. And I was a little intimidated by it at first when I started, I was like, wow, is this going to be too much? Don't be intimidated by this book because she does a really great job of sort of stacking, like she introduces it to you gradually. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of people who live in this world. They are not like us. So it's like a lot of things you have to learn. And the rules about the uh, angels are different within the archangels. And they are different than the, you know, like there's everyone has different rules. Um, and there's this thing called the drop that happens when you turn 18. There's all sorts of rules. But you learn it as you go. So it's not intimidating at all, which is great. And the number uh, one rule is that you're hot. Yeah, most people are hot. Most, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The two main characters are, or at least they're hot for each other. We'll say that. Um, uh, what, what are you reading, Nelly? Oh, I am reading a book that is coming out next month. I think it's going to be a nice, big glasser book. Very buzzy book for the two of us. It's the upcoming Lone Women by Victor Lavelle, an uh, author that you and I both adore. Love him. And all I needed to know, I was like, hold on. Victor Lavelle wrote a fucking horror Western? I'm yeah, in. Cool. I literally didn't even read the copy. I just started, started in on it uh, last night, and it is so good so far it like this book starts off with a bang this book like punches through the page or your kindle screen or your ears however you were uh taking it in and grabs you and sucks you in like the first uh, this is not a spoiler the first chapter it's uh it's in uh california and 1915 and the main character um she is 30 years old she comes from um uh, a family of black farmers that all immigrated west to go to california and like homestead and she is covering her house and gas covering her house in the dead bodies of her parents and gasoline um there's blood everywhere and she doesn't tell you 
why all of, why she's doing all of this only that she's doing all of this and she leaves the scene in this wagon um with this trunk and she's going through she's like starting a new life in another part of california um because this was a time period in america where um though that's the, the the title lone women comes from this program where um the uh, u.s was like giving homes and land to women who um you know, could go out and work the land. So she's going to do that, um, but she keeps this trunk with her, and you figure out pretty fucking quick that there's something in that trunk. And that Mm. thing in that trunk is bad. Uh, I'm not going to tell you any more than that, um, but she's, like, trying to start a new life, but it is hampered by whatever's in this trunk. And it's just, like, it's this really beautiful portrait of the American West, and it's really scary, and it's just so good. The main character is fantastic. She is so badass, and uh, if you love strong female protagonists, if you love just, like, ladies kicking ass, this is a great book. I am so, so into it so far. It comes out March 28th, so next month. Uh, so that's Lone Women by Victor Lavelle. And mine is House of Earth and Blood, this Crescent City One book by Sarah J. Moss. So we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. We got a bunch of emails about backlist and frontlist books. And I will say one piece of feedback we got a lot is that you, Bria, you and I talk so much that people, even though we specifically named the episode title, this people thought we meant back less or front less books. Oh, because of the way we say the word list. list. Yeah. Backlist. We don't enunciate the word list. You know what? But that's why we put it in the are title. We, so are we professional podcasters? Are we professional podcasters? Yes. Are we professional enunciators? Wow, I'm, I mispronounced that. No. <laughs> <laughs> keep it in. Keep it in. Uh, but I thought, that, I thought that was very funny. If you, One thing that you need to get used to when you're a Reading Glasses fan is that Brie and I talk wicked fast. <laughs> mm. uh, so Rachel wrote in to say, Hi, Mallory and Bria. I'm listening to your episode about backlist versus frontlist books, which is crazy timing because yesterday I was looking up how I could get my hands on the backlist books for one of my favorite authors. TJ Klune's earlier books were published through a company that either stopped paying him, went bankrupt, or were doing shady things, something like that. So he pulled his books from that publisher and republished them himself Mm. so that they were only available through Amazon. I bought the first book of his Green Creek series from Amazon a while back, but held off on buying the other books because, well, Amazon. My LBS, which means local bookstore, which I love because it's like LBD, you know? Mm. It's like a little classy Although it reminds me of LDS. Latter-day Saints? I think that's how you say it. Isn't it the Mormons or something? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, but LBS just sounds so fancy. Uh, Rachel says, uh, my LBS needs the money way more than Jeffy B does. Oh, my God. (laughs) But yesterday I was looking into it again, and the publisher of his newer books, which is Tor, just picked up his backlist and will be reissuing them in 2023. Joyful book news. Woo, very exciting. So now I will just need to watch and see when I can buy those through my LBS, and I'll be set. I had no idea how often this happens to authors, but it sounds like it was a huge mess to deal with, so I'm super happy the author was able to get it worked out. Yeah, this does happen with authors and their backlist, for sure. Uh, but I'm glad for TJ Klune. T- I would love to have TJ Klune on the show to talk about this. Should we ask TJ Klune to come on the show? Because this is very interesting, and also, you know, obviously a big glass or favorite. Yeah, if we can get him on, that would be, that'd be a bigger episode. Come on, TJ. Here we are. Uh, Bobby Roden said, hello. You bet your sweet ass I read that backlist. <laughs> My husband makes fun of me because when I discovered Jody Pico, we affectionately call her Jody Pickles, I went out and bought one of her backlist novels. Then I went out and bought all 10 of her backlist novels I hadn't read and proceeded to binge them over the next couple of weeks. Needless to say, she's my favorite author. Fortunately, I haven't found another author with such an extensive backlist that I love, but I do read their entire backlist if I read the first one. Love that. Love it. That, that is a great feeling when you read an author and you discover they have a bunch of other books out and you can just go buck wild. Yeah. Um, we also had a few people write in to recommend Storygraph as a great resource for content warnings, including friend of the show, Gail Carriger, who said, hello, hello, just listening to your end of the year roundup episode and wanted to let you know there's a crowdsourced resource for triggering content warnings on Storygraph. I didn't know it existed until my readers told me about it, thought the glassers might find it useful. Mm. And if the book isn't there, you can start a listing. That is really cool. That is cool. So I, don't cool. Th- I don't think Goodreads has anything like that. Mm-mm. Good for you. So. You can usually Google, but that but that's great that there's like one source for it. That's amazing. 
And Gail also included her wheelhouse, which is why. Oh, Gail came, came on the show early, early yes, on. Yes, she was but a it very was early episode. Before we were asking wheelhouses from people. Yes. And so now we get Gail's wheelhouse, which is YA, where girls dress as boys to subvert the patriarchy, fantasy <laughs> sci fi plots driven by culture conflict, funny queer genre fiction, lady nights, and found family. Wicked good wheelhouse. I love this. Love it. Uh, so you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com if you want a list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month. You can sign up for our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. And just a reminder, folks, our 300th fucking episode is coming up. Uh, we've been getting a lot of great emails from folks, and there's a thread in the Slack channel about how uh, pe- people writing in to say how the show has changed their life, any advice you've gotten, maybe, maybe any recs from us, uh, book tech we've talked about, uh, just hot book tips, whatever, you know, if you've gotten something from the show and it has uh, affected your reading life, please let us know. We would love to hear it. It's been really cool to see what people have taken away from the show and the themes. Definitely us busting grad school, as we know, is a, is a, is a common theme for a lot of people. Uh, but yeah, so email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com if you want to let us know um, uh, how the show's affected your life over the past 300 episodes. So many episodes. Also, a quick bookmark for me. Um, I'm going to be on a Maximum Fun sister show called Go Fact Yourself. Fun. Um, and... Uh, that will be like the last week of February. And I think we're recording it live. So you Ooh. can come if you live in Los Angeles. It's, um, I'll put a link in the show notes, but it is um, uh, going to be on the 26th. So put that in your calendars. It is going to be in LA. Um, yeah, come and I don't know who I'm going up against. And also I'm bad at facts. So this will be, I'm horrible at trivia. So this will be very, very not fun for me. But, uh, c- but it'll come, be very fun us. to watch. So before we talk about world building, we're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is sponsored this week by Green Chef. And hey, Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh. And with a wider array of meal plans to choose from, there's something for everyone. We love switching between those two brands. And now people can enjoy brands at a discount from us, both these brands at a discount from us right now. But hey, Mallory... I'm hungry. Green Chef can help you with that. Their recipes feature premium proteins, seasonal organic produce, and sustainably sourced seafood. You can expand your palate with unique farm-fresh ingredients like figs, dates, and artichokes. You can raise your food standards in 2023 and reap the flavor benefits. And if you're craving more servings of a favorite recipe, you can double the portions in your weekly order with just one click. Yeah, and you can get everything you need at Green Market. That's a one-stop shop for quick breakfast, brunch kits, wholesome lunches, and more. You can easily add to your weekly order. So, you know, you can get this stuff in the mail. You get the, these nice prepackaged, ready-to-go, great recipes, and all the things that you need in them. But you can also go and you want to do a little add-on. You're like, you know what? I also want a little bit of breakfast. I also want a little bit of something else. So you can get everything you need right here from Green Chef, which is awesome. And, you know... I have a lot of dietary requirements, and I'm hungry. And Green Chef can help me with both. I don't eat meat. I haven't in a long time. Um, And Green Chef makes it really easy for me to continue to not eat meat and gives me all sorts of great, fun recipes that I can make and eat. (laughs) Yeah, I, I love Green Chef. It's really, really nice. For two people, Bria, that have particular diets, it's very, very handy that you can find a uh, meal meal plan kit like this and put it, you know, you don't eat gluten, you don't eat meat, you don't eat dairy, you want to be keto, whatever it is, Green Chef has got you covered. You can have delicious, easy to follow recipes that support your healthy lifestyle this whole dang year. If you are, maybe you want to be a little healthier in 2023, just want to eat more veggies or you just want to take, eat takeout less, you want to cook more, Green Chef has got you covered. So all you have to do is go to greenchef.com slash glass 60 and use code glasses 60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash glasses 60 and use code glasses 60 for 60% off plus free shipping glasses. Okay. Zebras. Uh, hello. 
Orangutans. Oh, yes, sorry. Hi. I'm not used to the animals talking. Uh, Who are you? Yes, my name is Carrie Poppy. I co host a podcast called Ona Ross and Carrie. This is my co host, Ross, right here. Okay. We investigate spirituality, claims of the paranormal. And we were wondering if we could get on the ark. You did come two by two. I Thank appreciate you. that. Though most of the things I'm letting on the ark don't talk. I'm going to be talking all up on this boat. Do you mind both? I prefer ark. Or okay, barge. I'm not listening, but. If you let me on, mm-hmm. then I will make my really good podcast on your boat. Can you barge. at least help clean up all the poop? I guess I don't see why not. Well, I'll check out the podcast. Where do I find it? It's on MaximumFun.org. This week all about world building. What exactly is world building and what kind of books have it? What does it mean when a book has good world building? So first off, Bria, let's define world building. What does world building mean? Let's. Uh, So it's the creation of a world that is different from our own, usually for use in a fiction book, but movies have world building as well. There's a great joke in La La Land about world building. I don't know if you remember this, Mallory. I blocked La 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 Land Land? out. Uh, Um, uh, Look, I know we all hate La La Land for some reason. I think it's very fun. It's very clever. I like a musical. I have a story about La La Land. I have a particular problem with La La Land because I got tricked into seeing it. So one of my friends told me that I should go see it because it was like a David Lynch movie. Oh, and like I a, and you know I have a I don't watch trailers so I was just like oh wow so this will be a cool weird movie and I go in there and it's a musical it was just like so different from what I expected it to be and I got out of that film and immediately texted my friend and I was like what the fuck is wrong with you so I probably would have strange. liked it more if I had gone into it without that expectation yeah you need to be expecting like a like 19. 19- 50s style musical but there's a joke where someone's at a party and uh this guy's trying to flirt with this girl and he goes i just saw the script people say i'm really good at world building which really made me laugh because it's that such is a, like funny very thing. Anyway, fu- that is funny it's in movies um so uh it might mean uh for example inventing new races of people language weather systems magic systems monsters or technology but mostly it means how all those elements affect the world and the people living in the world that you are creating Yes, and so books that require world building are usually usually speculative fiction, fantasy, sci-fi, horror, etc. Even literary fiction that has some speculative element. Um, basically, any kind of book that doesn't take place in our world, the way our world is. It could still be America, could still be, you know, some country in in the on Earth, but it would just not be the way. Like, um, you know, Library of the Dead is a great example because it takes place mm-hmm. in Edinburgh, but it's a very different fantasy edinburgh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what does it mean when a book has good world building mallory yes that's that's a it's it's a term that gets used a lot in the book community Uh, but what exactly does it mean when world building is good Uh, when a book is described as having good world building it usually means the author has put a lot of effort into intricately imagining the world down to like the smallest details Uh, A really popular example of this is Lord of the Rings because Tolkien thought up, you know, races and their languages and their histories and like every imaginable detail. A lot of readers feel like good world building makes it easier to get lost in the world of the book and feel like it could be real. And that's why people are like, oh, this is really this world building is really good because it's so intricate and well imagined that it feels like I could just like step into this world and I can like perfectly imagining it as existing. Um, So, Bria, are you is this something you look for? Are you one of those people who like I want good world building? I mean, yes, when it is done well, I do enjoy it. Um, But I'm very specific on my world building. Like I said in the book I'm reading right now, this Crescent City book, I find that it has to be pretty gradual for me. Like too much info up front and I'm I am out. I like a new world, but like when some people are like, and here's how you do it, and like you they explain everything, that starts to feel a little overwhelming to me in the way that I read and the way I sort of immerse myself, which is often why I think I read books that are very similar to our own but have like one little difference, you know, like <laughs> just that a smidge. is the kind of world building that like is easier for me to digest. But um, yeah, I do like world building. And occasionally I will go for a great big whole new world, a whole new world. <laughs> Bria's uh, on the uh, carpet flying through, or she's instead of a carpet, you're on an open book that is flying through the air. There you go. What about you? Are you, are you looking for world building in your books? So I feel the same way about world building as I do about bathrobes and hotel rooms. 
Oh, I really appreciate them if they are included, mm-hmm. but it's not a deal breaker for me if it's not there. <laughs> <laughs> so you're fine with staying at like a super eight where it's like there is not going to be a bathroom. No, this, not all, but you know, so I have a th- I have a whole thing with hotel rooms where there's three things where I would really love them to be there. And if a hotel room has all three, it's a banger. One is okay. free water. Second oh, one, yeah, sure. bathtub. Third, yeah. bathrobes. Because some hotels are really nice, but they might not have bathrobes, or they won't have like a shower but no tub, or they don't won't offer fucking free water. But like yeah, all of this it stuff, it's not a deal breaker. I won't like leave, but it's so nice when it's there. And that's how I feel about bathrobes and hotel rooms, and that's how I feel about world building. I, you know, I'm a plot reader, so I don't really mind if some of the world building is like hand wavy, or as I saw someone say in the Slack recently, mostly vibes. <laughs> <laughs> like that doesn't bother me because I'm just like so plot driven. You know, I, I read a few series last year that were like had amazing world building, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is really nice. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm appreciative, but it's not a it's not something I I, I actively seek out. Um, so what are some examples of books that have really good world building for you? Well, this is gonna make you laugh because I saw what your first one was, and then I thought I'd copy. <laughs> oh my god, it is so. You know what? Someone, I it's funny because you haven't read Babel, and I haven't read the books of Babel. Yeah, but I'm going to go Books of Babel by Josiah Bancroft. We should swap and, you're gonna and go see how they compare. Babel. Uh, listen, your world building does not have to be a fictional universe of Babel, but just the first two we are talking about are going to be that because I think, <laughs> look, it's hot, 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 hot right now to have a book in Babel. Um, no, I, you know, people know that I really love this book series, Books of Babel um, by Josiah Bancroft. I got obsessed with this series because of the world building, really. I mean, there's a lot of good character stuff, but this was... What helped is that it was, like, an idea I was familiar with, I think. You know, because this is something that's in the Bible. The Tower of Babel is in the Bible. And so putting it into our, like, our world and making something with it, I thought was really interesting. And in this world, every level of the Tower is something different. Like, it's like, oh, it's a theater world, or this world's just for vacationing, or this is, like, a bustling marketplace, and you accidentally can get stuck in, like, any one of them on accident, so be careful. Um... And the more you read, like, they aren't all thrown at you at the very beginning. So there are worlds that you discover as you read the later books. Um, But I just thought this was such a clever way to use an idea that we all kind of knew about. And I just really liked the world building. The world building is what kept bringing me back because I was like, well, what's going to happen on the next level? Who's What's the next level going to be? Like, because he kind of keeps adding Mm -hmm. to what is happening. Uh, What what is your first world building recommendation? (laughs) It's a big glasser book, Babel by R.F. Kuang. you know, <laughs> Babel's hot, Babel's in. Uh, but this book is is just amazing. And the world building is really top notch. Kwong deeply thought about all aspects of the magic of this world and how it works. And most importantly, how it affects every single thing and how that affects the class and culture of the world, which is really just like, it's it's so intricate. It's so amazing. Like um, the, it's linguistic magic, it's silver magic and how, uh, it affects this, the main character who is, um, you know, go, gone to the Tower of Babel in Oxford uh, in this world to like learn language magic and how especially language ties into colonization, ties into oppression, ties into class and how this character goes up against it and represses parts of himself and has to fight it. It's just like, it's so, it, it's really like, Kwong's like a genius. It's it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I it's not something I seek out, but this like, I was so blown away by the world building in this book. Um, Bria, what's your next one? Well, listen, you don't have to have your world building based around a fictional tower <laughs> ba- from a <laughs> from a religious text. So I'm going to do something that's not that. Um, uh, I haven't brought this series. I love the series. I haven't brought it up, I feel like, in a year or two, um, which is William Gibson's The Bridge Trilogy. Um, it all takes place in a world like ours. It takes place in, in San Francisco, and it's around the Golden Gate Bridge, and after an earthquake... Basically, the bridge becomes, I can't remember if it's, like, not useful or you can't drive across it or something anymore. But basically, people start to live on it. And um, there's all these future technologies and these intertwining stories. And it's very, like, cyberpunky, And it's future technologies that are, that are like, fantasy-esque in some ways. It's just a really great... Gibson is obviously, like, one of our, you know, uh, he, in, he helped invent a genre of book. But I just felt like when I read this series it really inspired it was really like for me I was like I love sci-fi I fucking love sci-fi and it was it really immersed me in the world and it kept me reading the rest of the trilogy because it just was like I just wanted to know what kept happening in this world where 
the Golden Gate Bridge is like taken over by people living on it. And, and then all the, there's a lot of other like stuff in the world. But yeah, I just thought it was really great. Uh, what's your next one? Uh, it's one that I don't think I've talked about on the show, if ever. Um, if I have, it has, it's been a really long time. Uh, it's The Scar by China Mieville. Um, honestly, if you want bonkers world building, China Mieville is your dude. Uh, That's true. All of his books are just like absolutely buck wild, like fantasy sci-fi horror amalgamations with like really intricate and weird world building. Very setting heavy for sure. If you were a setting person, China Mieville is... Uh, would be a great author for you. Um, but this book, The Scar, it takes place mostly on a floating city that is made of thousands of boats, you know, from canoes all the way to like ocean liners tied together and all of the different races and their politics and their boats and their cultures and like the people who run the whole city um, and how and, and what they're trying to do. Um, uh, part of the book is them, uh, these people have kind of taken over the politics of the city and they're trying to find a way to a find this like absolutely cyclopean like fish whale thing and attach the city to it and half the people think the fish whale is like mythical and isn't real and it's like a um you know it's it's like a you know a, a ridiculous wild goose chase to try to find it and some of the people think that they can actually do it and all the different like factions within the city and all the you know their own um agendas and the things that they're trying to do is just like it really is amazing the way that he is able to not only invent all this stuff but kind of just like figure out how they all fit together and keep them all like floating in the air it's just it's it's so awesome um what is your what's your last pick you know Mallory, i don't think you have this i kept thinking of series is i think because when you're in a series you feel like you're really like in that world so the world building feels very clear because you just keep getting deeper and deeper into yeah. that world like you know like you you, the first book is a little bite, and then the next book is like you're halfway through this. You know, you get it. You're in the to the main course. And I, <laughs> anyway, I don't know if that's not a great analogy, but um, so I wanted to pick a standalone because obviously you can do world building in standalones, and I there's some great world building in standalones like you've just named. Um, but I wanted to do a book I've sort of retired, but I think that this is maybe this will be my last shout out, which is um. An Unkindness of Ghosts by River Solomon. It all takes place on a spaceship. Spaceships are great for world building, I find, because you got to kind of start from scratch. Yeah. <laughs> Starting fresh. Mm -hmm. It all takes place on a spaceship that's sort of continued an antebellum south structure. So people with darker skin work on lower levels with crops, and those in charge do not work on those levels and uh, live above them. Um, and it's a world you'd be familiar with if you know history, but it takes that world... Um, and does something totally new and interesting with it, puts it in space. Um, so it's still dealing with issues of race and issues of class and um, uh, and uh, uh, and servitude and slavery. But also it is dealing with that in like this sort of new structure that thinks it's sort of beyond that. Um, so I just think it's like a very, uh, it's a really great world building book uh, that is a standalone. You don't have to eat the whole entire three course meal. You know what I mean? <laughs> just a sampler. Just a sampler. Uh, what's your What's your last one for everyone? Uh, my last pick is an author that we love, but a book that we don't talk about all the time. Normally, I talk about Empire of Wild, um, but it's The Marrow Thieves by Cherie Demeline. Um, she is just fucking incredible. And if you want some amazing post-apocalyptic sci-fi world building, this book and its sequel, which just came out last year, I think, are for you. The way Demeline imagined how the climate apocalypse like, affected the world and its people is really incredible. It's this like dystopian future where people can't dream anymore except for the native populations of North America. So they are being hunted for their bone marrow because they think that if they consume the marrow of these people, then they will be able to dream again. The, the book centers around this band of native people who are from different parts of Canada, different tribes, different peoples, but they're all sort of united in this thing where they don't want to fucking get caught. And uh, mm -hmm. the main character is this teenager and he's like trying to be a teenage boy growing up on the, in this like really bonkers existence in this really bonkers world. It's just so, it's so good. Uh, I actually did this for um, the Sword and Laser Book Club uh, with our friend Tom Merritt. Uh, so you, if you read this, you can go and listen to that, uh, th those two episodes where we talk about it. But it's, um, I don't read a lot of sci-fi, as you know, if you listen to the show, but this book is just a, a banger and it's great world building. Uh, so you could send your thoughts to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear about your favorite world building books. Uh, but before we talk to world building master, Annalie Newitz, we're going to take a quick break.
Reading Glasses is sponsored in part today by Microdose Gummies. Bria, what does microdosing do for people? It can do all sorts of stuff. It can help people chill out. It can help people get in the zone when they're ready to work, do some creative stuff. It can help people wind down at night, sleep like a little baby when they're tired. A little baby that is at least 18 years old. (laughs) Yes, that's correct. Yes, a a little 18-year-old baby, which honestly, yeah, that's I was a little baby when I was 18. (laughs) But this isn't about me, is it? No. No, this is about (laughs) microdose. So our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies, and Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Whether you need a creative boost for a project you're working on, whether you need to wind down after a stressful day, Maybe you need to relax a little bit after a big workout. Uh, There's many different situations where microdose gummies can uh, help you feel healthier and perform better. Uh, I like using them, uh, you know, at the end of a really busy day or after I've done a really big workout for my my big muscles that I work really hard at having. (laughs) Uh, It's great when I'm done uh, powerlifting, but it's also if you have sleep problems, it's really great to take, uh, you know, maybe a half an hour before bed to help you get to sleep. Uh, There's all kinds of ways that microdose gummies can improve your life and add to your day or your your sleep. Uh, Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code GLASSES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdose.com, code GLASSES. GLASSES. Oh my gosh, hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture trivia podcast, Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play games like motivational speeches. It goes a little like this. Riley, give us an improvised motivational speech on why people should listen and subscribe to Troubled Waters. I look around this ad and I see a lot of potential to listen to comedians such as Jackie Johnson and Josh Gondelman, and they need you to get out there and listen to them attempt to figure out sound rebus clues or determine if something is a Game of Thrones character or a city in Wales. I have chills. I'm going to give you 15 points. All that and so much more on Troubled Waters. Find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. Um, all right. So here we are with Annalie Newitz. Annalie, how are you and what are you reading right now? I am doing pretty well. The atmospheric words have ceased in my area. (laughs) (laughs) I just finished reading The Red Scholar's Wake by Aliette de Baudard, and it was incredible. It's the romance between a far future engineer and a sentient pirate spaceship and (laughs) it is seriously one of the most beautiful romances i've read in a really long time i highly recommend it oh my gosh is this out or is this a an arc that you were reading it is out now as a digital book in the united states and then it's out i guess in paper in the uk i'm not sure when the paper version is coming to the states but you can order it now okay that sounds amazing, and it sounds like something our listeners will really enjoy. Um, so <laughs> uh, tell us about your new book, The Terraformers. I loved it. It was so much fun. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it is a multi-generational epic about people who are terraforming a planet for a interstellar real estate corporation that kind of specializes in creating uh experiences like a planet that is Earth-like. So they're trying to make this perfect Earth-like world. And I really focused on the characters who are doing the work. I think a lot of times in far future epics, you kind of hear about the kings and queens or like the captains of industry. And this is really about the people who are getting their hands dirty and planting trees and having to maintain the ecosystem on the planet. And it's really, it takes place over... 1600 years because it takes a long time to terraform (laughs) it is epic it is epic (laughs) yeah and so the thing that's really fun about it for me is that it allowed me to sort of talk about how long-term projects play out over three generations three very long-lived generations and uh yeah so it's uh got romance it's got war and it has a really hopeful 
tone. So things mostly turn out okay. Yeah. I loved it. Um, So this episode is all about world building. And you, in this book, you literally (laughs) build a world. You not only do world building and creating the, you know, what we're reading and telling us all about this planet, which is essentially an Earth-like planet, uh, Mm -hmm. but you actually build the world over the course of this very, uh, this epic timeline. Can you talk about what goes into that and how do you even start with coming up with an idea that is this epic and it's going to have all this world building in it? Yeah, well, I'm a science journalist by training and I still work in journalism. So of course I started by calling up a bunch of scientists and figuring out (laughs) how you would build an atmosphere and like how you would build, you know, plate tectonics and all those fun things that go into making earth. But I was also really obsessed with creating a futuristic group of workers. And so there's a lot of technologies that allow this group of terraformers to be not just homo sapiens, but a lot of non-human animals. So there's a main character who is a moose, who is a sentient talking moose. There are naked mole rats. There's cats. There are robots. Um, at, toward the end of the book, we meet some sentient public transit, uh, a I flying train. <laughs> yeah, and the train has this, What this is not a spoiler, the train has a romance with a cat who's an investigative journalist. And so I really wanted to build a world that felt super familiar, but also felt extremely different from our own, even though it has all the same ingredients. It's all the yeah. same creatures, all the same plants, but they're just interacting really differently. Yeah. Um, well, I loved it. I loved that train cat romance. That was uh, honestly quite surprising. I, it takes a lot to surprise me in a science fiction book. And I was like, okay, that's where we're headed. Um, I, I loved it. Always. Uh, <laughs> so this book, like you said, it's epic. It, sp- it spans so many years, but it isn't a doorstop level book. It's not like I'm picking up you know, some book that is going to, you know, break my back to walk around with. It is actually like not, it's not a long, a super long book. Uh, and I no. think a lot of people would have made the choice to make this like 1500 pages or something. Can you talk about, about the choice to make it so that your average sci-fi reader will not get uh, overwhelmed by the page count? So it's funny because originally I had intended for it to be a doorstopper. I was like, yes, this is going to be my epic. It's going to be like 200,000 words. And um, I actually, I'm just, I I write short uh, when I set out to write a book that's typical length that it usually ends up being a bit shorter. And so this is my effort at writing an epic. And I, you know, it is a little bit longer than your average novel, but not much. And I really wanted to make it feel like we were getting to spend enough time with the characters, but then leaving room to move on to the next generation. And so the story is really the arc of these three generations. It's not, um, it's not as if we don't get to fall in love with the characters because it's, it's a very character focused book. And each section really focuses in on one or two main characters and kind of their struggles. But I wanted I wanted it to feel fast paced. You know, I wanted people to kind of get into this thing that's pretty crunchy, like building a government, building public transit. These aren't typical epic journey type things. I don't think there's like a hero's journey toward, you know, really great train service. Um, <laughs> so I want yeah, there is now. <laughs> Here's the stages of it. So I, I wanted it to kind of have the pacing of a thriller, but with the the kind of content of an epic and so it was um it was fun to do but it was a little bit nerve-wracking I did have to rein myself in at certain points but then at other times I was like wait I need more I need more so um hopefully it feels hefty enough but not like you said like you're gonna break your back carrying it around I think you did a beautiful job of that and speaking of the the public transportation, so I, I love when um, science fiction and genre books, they go into topics that we are dealing with um, and talking about and just doing timely things, but in this sort of like science fictional world. Um, and you do this really beautifully, I think, in this book. And um, I mean, not only just the, I mean, dealing with public transportation, which I never thought I would, you know, read a sentient train, uh, but, you know, worker uprising and and all, all of these kinds of things that I think we're really talking about now. Do you think that dealing with timely issues is part of the job description 
for a science fiction writer? That's a really interesting question. I tend to do it very consciously. I know I'm not a, a, a wizard, so I can't predict what's actually going to happen in the future. So I can really only extrapolate from the things that I see around me now and that I care about now. And I really think that even when science fiction tries to go into that wizard mode, you can't help but reflect the time that you live in. And, you know, the things that I think of as important are shaped by when I grew up and I live in the United States. And so there's certain things that I obsess about that someone who grew up in um, China would not obsess about. And right. so I think it may not be the job, but I think it's important to be self-conscious about it and to be aware of the fact that you are reflecting your era and then try to work with that, try to do something interesting with it instead of pretending as if you can kind of see what's really going to happen in 60,000 years. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. So I think we've already asked you about your reader wheelhouse so I'm changing it up. I'm going to ask you about your reader doghouse, which is <laughs> anything that you like start reading a book, it has it in there and you're like, nope, not for me. Like that, the thing that makes you put down a book instead of the opposite being, that makes you pick it up like a, the wheelhouse. Yeah. So do, you, do you have things like that? I do. Um, oh. I knew you were going to ask me this question and it actually <laughs> was really hard because it's, I, I feel like things that I don't like are often much more like contextual than things I do like, you know, because it's like, sometimes I like this thing, but not when it's done this way. Mm. But there is, I did come up with one that will always make me throw a book across the room. And that is stories about weird girls who secretly just want to be normal and need to be domesticated. <laughs> Usually they're domesticated either by getting the right boyfriend oh. or meeting the right father figure. And that just always, I don't think there's any way to do that story where I would be like, oh, well, actually, I kind of like this. Yeah. <laughs> it's just always, always no. <laughs> uh, yes, I could see that. I, I, I think I'm in agreement there. That's a really good one. Um, I haven't quite figured out what exactly it is that makes me want to throw a book across the room, but that feels like something that I, I can uh, second. Um, yeah. So where can listeners find you online and where can they buy the book? So you can buy the book wherever books are sold. Please get it from your local indie bookstore. It really helps um, to just go to a nice local place. Um, and you can find me online uh, on the web. I have a website, the old-fashioned website at AnnaLeeNewitz.com. I'm also on Mastodon at Wandering Shop at Annalee Inn. And I have a podcast called Our Opinions Are Correct, which I co-host with Charlie Jane Anders. And you can find that wherever podcasts are being podcast. Love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show once again. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. Now let's solve a bookish problem from one of our listeners. Amber wrote in, Hi, Brian Mallory. I have a question that's been bothering me for a while. How do you rate a memoir if you didn't love it? It feels so weird to me to rate someone's personal life story, but sometimes I just don't jive with it because of the writing style or other factors. But anytime I go to rate a memoir, I automatically give it five stars because it feels so rude to nitpick someone's life and how they choose to share it. I also recognize how much bravery it must take to write about your own personal experiences, thoughts, and feelings and share them with the world. So what should I do? Keep automatically giving every memoir five stars, even if it feels disingenuous for me or omit a rating even though it pains me inside not to assign a rating to everything I read. Please help. P.S. I absolutely adore your show and think you guys are just simply some of the coolest people in the world. Wow. We're recording this very early on a Sunday morning. I don't even have eyebrows on. I do not feel very cool, but thank you. Mm -hmm. Amber. Bria, what should Amber do? Okay, this is something I've actually never thought of. My immediate thought was I don't think that you're rating someone's life or choices. I think you're rating on how they told them. But I decided we have an expert here, <laughs> a friend of the show that I could call up and say, how should one write a memoir? And that was Chelsea Devantes. So I reached out to her and asked her this question. And we're going to play her response for you. Um, just so you know, she she hosts a podcast called Celebrity Book Club. Um, it is great. I feel like it is such a great way. She's such a like cool feminist lady, but she goes, she's very funny. She goes in, she talks about these memoirs and she has a rating system for it. 
at the end of every show, which I think is great. I've been on it before. Also, she's the greatest Instagram. Uh, not to gush, but it's so funny. It's really active. She posts what, what people say in response to the memoirs and stuff they're reading. Her podcast is just a real delight. Um, so uh, I'm going to play her response now. Hello. I am honored to weigh in. I'm going to make a voice memo since I have a bunch to say. First off, I love that the person who wrote this question is taking so much care in honoring that someone who wrote a memoir is sharing this huge piece of their life. And it's such a vulnerable thing to do, especially in celebrity memoirs, which is what our podcast covers. I think people often forget there's like a real human talking about their real life when they share it in a book. Um, so I think about this concept a lot because on my podcast, when we go through the memoirs, we do talk about things that we didn't like in them or things that seemed odd to us. And you have to take a lot of care and remembering this is like a real human's story. So I'm going to share with you the test we run at the end of my podcast um, on each book because I think it could help inspire, inspire like the own ways that you measure a memoir. So I jokingly call it the book dull test, a play on the Bechdel test. So it's the book dull test. The first question is, was the author vulnerable and did they share their truth? Now, obviously, we don't want to commodify vulnerability, especially with women, but I do think the art of memoir requires honesty. And some memoirs are written very glossily or they don't get into things or they, they're not sharing their life. They're not sharing their truth. And that, to me, is not meeting you're not meeting the form of memoir. So it's really important to me to, to feel in a book that someone is sharing their authentic truth and, and offering that over. The second question is, was it entertaining to read? Because also with memoirs, sometimes people maybe use them a little bit more as like a diary or they don't use story structure or certain writing tools that would help their story. And like, it is just such an honor and a privilege to write a book about your own life. And it's important that it remains entertaining and um, well-written. Not even well-written when it comes to memoir personally, because I do think telling your story in your voice for me is more important than quote-unquote good writing. So for me, it's just, was it entertaining to read? Did I enjoy the process of going through your life? And then the last question is, did reading this book elevate your life in some way? I, to me, the, the power of sharing your story is so so important, especially for women, especially for people who are otherized. Like we don't always see like our stories discussed in detail or have it historically in, in popular art. And so in a memoir is when you can really learn about someone's story and learn how to like live your own life better or think about things better. And so it's just like a dinner party. It's like, why do we share stories? It's, they're just so important to me. So, wow, I'm getting really so serious on this, but I do take this test seriously. So did reading this book elevate your life in some way? Sometimes for me, that has been like, yeah, did I think Tori Spelling's first memoir was going to elevate my life? No, but it was so entertaining to read in a moment when I really needed it. Um, other books have like really changed how I live my life or I've taken a piece of them that's like meant a lot to me, like Gabrielle Unions or Jane Fonda's. So, anyways, so that's how I rate books. And finally, I will just say, I would not be afraid to rate a memoir, even though I understand the caution behind it. But I think when you take care and thoughtfulness in rating art in the world, it only helps us to have better art. Again, as long as you take take care when you do it. And I, I'm like, this makes me think of Jessica Simpson's memoir where she just gave so much in terms of authenticity and, and it was entertaining and all these things. And she, she offered so much more than we would have expected from a celebrity memoir or from our idea of her. And the success of that and how people responded to her story has encouraged so many other women to share memoirs more in line with like authenticity and opening up and not being afraid to show your flaws. And so I think when we like respond to stuff we really love, it can be powerful. Okay. That was my little soapbox rant. Love you guys. Bye. So I think that's a great response. I really like the idea of is the person telling their truth? Like that it actually feels like really that's what you're reading this memoir for. Um, but Mallory, what, what do you think? You got something you want to add? Yeah, I actually I think this is a great relatable question. Um, and I assume Amber is talking about Goodreads or Storygraphed, right? It's got to be. Oh, because, yeah, uh, yeah. You mean as opposed to? You know, just writing your thoughts in a journal. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because, of course, a lot of people, myself included, feel pressure when posting a rating or review in a public space. But Amber, I'm telling you now, we absolve you of your book guild. It's still a book. That's really the thing. I think all three of us, me, you, and Chelsea, are saying 
it's still a book. It's not a dating site. You're not rating them personally, you know, rate the book how you want. And if you feel bad, you can always write a review that says something like the author's story is great, but I'm not a fan of the writing style. You know, it's still, still a book. It's still the way they chose to share their story. You know, it's not a live journal post, you know, it's not like (laughs) an interview on 60 minutes. It's, it's imagine going back and rating people's live journal posts from when they were like 16 years old. I was so into live journal. I miss live journal sometimes. I wasn't. Is it still around? Oh, yeah, but it got, like, bought out by a Russian company. When Twitter started to go down, I was like, maybe I should make a live journal. But, like, I don't even know how to use it anymore. It's fine. RIP. It was a a different time on the internet, and I will always miss live journal. I still have friends that I met on live journal, like, almost 20 years ago. Wow, really? Yeah, Yeah. it is still up. You're right, but it is a strange, it looks like a very strange platform these days. It's very weird. But yeah, and you know what? I also, I'm going to throw one more little thing in the ring. There's a lot of, especially like celebrity memoirs, they're not written by them. You know, we talk, I don't know if we've done an, have we done an episode on ghostwriters? Yes. Oh yeah, we did. So don't feel so bad (laughs) because a a lot of these, some of them are credited, some of them are not. So there, but there's some, some celebrity memoirs that are, Ghost written, so and that ghostwriter doesn't actually. Care. We may have done one on pen names, but not on ghostwriters. Yeah, maybe we need, we still need to do that. Um, but yeah, Amber, you are absolved of your guilt again. If you feel really bad about it, you can always write a little like explanatory um, review underneath. But rate how your heart wants, and also it's very unlikely that the person is going to be reading their Goodreads reviews. If they are, that's on them. That's not where an author belongs. They should not be there. They should get chased out with a broom, you know. <laughs> get out of here. Shoot. You know, yeah, yeah. Authors, authors should not be in, in, in spaces like that. That is for, for readers to express their thoughts without having to think about, you know, how an author is going to take it. So, Amber, you are absolved of your guilt. Thank you to Chelsea. And if you want us to solve your reader problem, you can send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, want to thank the wonderful mods who run our Facebook group. And we still haven't heard back about the Goodreads thing. So we know it's definitely Chrissy. We don't know if Rachel is still doing it. This is our last call. Uh, after this, we're going we're gonna, to uh, uh, change this part of the, of the podcast sign-off. But we would love to get an update on what's going on with our Goodreads page and who is moderating it. Remember, you can buy reading glasses, totes, shirts, stickers, all kinds of fun stuff over at our Void Merch store. You know you want a book slut shirt. I mean, the world is opening up. Maybe you're going on a date for the first time in years. Imagine showing up to a date and someone's wearing a book (laughs) slut shirt. You're automatically going home with that person. Sure. (laughs) There's a link in the show notes for all of our merch. Uh, And remember, that merch directly supports me and Bria's hungry, Hungry Cats and Dogs. Uh, And if you like the show and want to do something nice for us for free, you can rate and review us on the podcast listening app of your choice. It's really great for us and helps us reach more readers. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Reading G Podcast, on Instagram at Reading Glasses Podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for reading. Thanks for reading.